Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, welcome to The Guinea Pig. I'm Dr. Mariam Zamani, an oculoplastic surgeon and aesthetic doctor. And I'm Fiona Golfer, a writer and journalist. I'm no stranger to a cosmetic procedure, and I'm willing to try pretty much anything. Which is why I'm here to make sure Fiona and anyone else that's out there considering a treatment to help make a better informed decision safely and to try and collect as much information as they can. Every fortnight, this podcast comes to you from Mariam's Clinic in Chelsea. If you're looking for an honest, no-holds-barred approach to invasive and non-invasive cosmetic surgery, then the guinea pig is here to help you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Guinea Pig, where we welcome our very first guest of this new series, the chair of the British Beauty Council, Millie Kendall, MBE. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Hi, Millie. Nice to see you. Again, it's been a long time. Long time. Not just six months. Not just six months, no. more like kind of 20 60 years. years. <laughs> 60 years. No, That's the that disturbing old. thing in this life. Everything's gone from being last year to 20 years. And, and anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. You've come to see us today, which is great, to talk about really how much beauty's changed, uh, particularly in this very strange year in which we've found ourselves, which is 2020, if you're listening from the future. It has been a really strange year, but what I wanted to ask you first, actually, was, will you explain to us exactly what the British Beauty Council is, how it came to be and what what your role in it is? So we officially launched the British Beauty Council in 2018 and it's very sort of akin to the British Fashion Council. In fact, we're sort of a sister organisation to the BFC. And the reason for starting was just a lifetime of frustration over the sort of lack of respect and representation at government level of the beauty industry. I think we're a sector that's quite sort of complicated. There's a lot of sort of subtle nuances that only we know about. And and when you get to government level, we're just seen as a bunch of women who fuss and are frivolous and don't know much about anything, which I don't think is true. As we saw when Boris was asked about yes, the that return classic to the beauty, moment. that classic, yes, that classic misogyny yeah. moment. Yeah. yeah. So just which, so, which actually, let's just for the benefit of our audience, in case anybody doesn't know what happened, because I think it was a really kind of important moment in our industry. So it was a, there was an MP, William Ragg, who was uh, stood up in Parliament at Prime Minister's Question Time, I think it was. Yeah. And he referred to a local nail salon. And between 
William, bless him, because he did receive a lot of Twitter nuisance after that. And Boris Johnson, they had a, ver- a good laugh about who was going to be first in line to get their beauty treatments done. We were the laughing stock of Parliament on th- at that given moment. And it's not the first time. This was about a week after they'd reopened the pubs. Yeah. 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 And I think what, what what had happened was, is that on that sort of government piece, which I'm sure we can go into later, is that they staggered the opening of our industries and we were sort of the last to open. So it was like hair open, but beauty didn't. Then body the and nails end. opened, but face didn't. And then face opened and then it didn't. And it was like, I was trying to explain to someone, it's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I just needed the towel to get through, you know, <laughs> yes. to the finish line. It was yes. just, it's just been the most bizarre experience. But ironically, when we set up the British Beauty Council, it was to have a direct relationship with government. And so this experience has, A, shown me we did the right thing, um, and B, it sort of fast-tracked though that uh, relationship. And because of the fact that we are close proximity services and they were very concerned about how we went back, all of a sudden there was a lot of focus on the beauty industry at government level. And that is just unheard of. So it sort of... It's just a frustrating, you know, you go out for lunch or dinner with someone and you all, you all work in the same industry and you just have a moan about, you know, how we're perceived. And my dad was a hairdresser. He left the country, moved to LA because, you know, he didn't feel very respected by his clients in London. He wanted that Warren Beatty shampoo lifestyle, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you could make money in this industry, but you couldn't show it in the UK. Yes. You could only show that in the, you know, in the US, yes. it's Different. people, are, I guess, you know, America's much more entrepreneurial and they really do embrace the entrepreneurial spirit. And it's I the think, American dream, of course. Totally. And here it's frustrating. It's such an not. interesting thing that sort of, it's an industry that's worth, I mean, you'd know more than me what it's it worth. 30 billion pounds. 30 billion pounds. What we're talking about reminds me of when I was at Vogue and we had a, a gala dinner for the Vogue centenary. And a friend of mine who works in the banking sector came to that dinner. And at the end of the evening, I said, you know, did you have fun? And she said, oh, she said, it was really fun, mainly because it's so silly. And I said, yeah, I said, billions and billions of pounds worth of silly. That's how silly it is. Because you see somebody dressed up or the idea that you put lipstick on or the silliness, the idea that frivolity is silly or creativity yeah, I, is silly. I think they can't seem to make the connection no, between very odd people's thing. well-being and confidence and the sort of fashion and beauty industry. Mm. Why can't you make that connection? You know, that's... I, I'm sure that men have the same feeling when they put on a nice suit or a nice pair of shoes or, you know, they've had of a course shave. They do. Or, but they just don't make that connection. And so it's sort of... I don't know. I find it so bizarre. But anyway... I don't know I, if it's know. a connection. I kind of think it's it's that they sort of unnecessary in a way for them because it's uh, they don't see it as self-wellness or that's not important. It's always like the bottom line, the, the numbers. You're doing a business to, I don't know, to provide a service. But this doesn't seem as important because it's mainly female dominated because i think their self worth is built in power yes and but you know you take those suits away and you take the you know the beard trim or the shave or whatever you take it away and they they look the totally they different really <laughs> a man horrible. with a saggy bottom don't well, you yeah, just, exactly. like, just like everybody else yeah it's that whole thing there was Absolutely. i can't remember where i read it but there was this sort of there was a feature on how the dad bod's okay no it's not no it's no disgusting quite frankly you know 
But it's sort of, you know, why is that? Why is a dad bod okay? But, you know, mum's middle age spread isn't, you know, it's not, neither of it. I don't like either of those words, by the way. It's that sort of, uh, there is that sort of, um, I just, I just think it is, it is quite misogynistic in a lot of ways. You know, there's that sort of, the way they perceive us. Well, the frivolity of it is definitely, I mean, and it's been interesting because in lockdown, you know, we have, a lot of us have not had access to the things that we have made part of the habit of life. And for me, since I was in my early 20s, having a facial, looking after myself, my grandmother, who was European, kind of was like, this is called a manicure. You look after your skin. You look after this. These are things you look after. And it was kind of ingrained into me from from very young. I say European because even when I got first got to Vogue, the idea of having something like a manicure was a bit of a sort of... It was actually seen as being something a bit sort of unnecessary and frivolous. You might have a manicure if you were getting married or going to a party, but you didn't have a manicure on a regular basis. And that's something that came into... My I've God, had, I cannot. I've had yeah. three or four <laughs> since the restrictions were lifted. But it's been that great. Sort of, I had yeah. one this morning, you know. I have one rang first tonight. Thing. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that in the services sector, it used to be that you would have you know, having your hair done was quite normal, but Mm. everything else was sort of slightly a bit of an add-on. But now I think that's definitely changed. I think it also depends where you were because in in America, I mean, I've been doing my nails since I can remember. When I moved here, I thought it was crazy. There were no nail bars and... There were two on the Edgeware Road. And and just hugely expensive. No, it's true. Well, it's very nice. I mean, for me, the idea that you're you're representing the, the beauty industry, although I see that there are no beauty lobbyists in Parliament. Is that is that right? No, 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 we are. That's and yet it. we make, you make more than the car industry? Yeah. Car manu- uh, yeah, uh, manufacturing. So originally when we set up, uh, when we set up the British Beauty Council, we were going to call ourselves a British beauty lobby, but we thought some American companies find that a little bit they don't don't like the the word lobby mm. so we we called ourselves the british beauty council and it's quite tricky to use the words british and council in an organization's name you have to go through we have to jump through hoops and it took us about seven months so we had to get letters from 70 percent of the industry saying that you are a required preeminent body which is quite astounding you know and and to to actually have to to prove to the government that you're needed and and to that degree so I had to go with my begging bowl and and ask people to to write letters for me so we had the deputy mayor's office and you know Space NK and you know Boots and L'Oreal and so we just had to sort of that took seven months and then those letters get sent to the sensitive words office and they have to basically sign off words off yeah it's like the ministry of silly walks (laughs) they kind of and and they won't they don't do email either so this whole process took somewhere around seven to nine months like giving birth so um i'd quite like to open a sensitive words office in my house (laughs) i think my family can be kind of farmed through um so yeah it's it's actually the whole thing's quite bizarre it's so british isn't it yeah you can't use the word british in your name uh, with company's house until you've had it signed off by the sensitive words office apparently the word british is a sensitive word so how does the affiliation with i mean i can understand that it makes complete sense but how does it work you and the and the fashion council so the fashion council obviously have been at this for a lot longer than we have so we adopted very similar articles rules articles associations we set ourselves up as an organization in a very similar fashion and caroline rush sits on our board right so she sort of helps us to direct strategy. 
What occurs to me is that during this time, the things that I've been hearing coming out of the beauty industry is that hairdressers, I mean, for makeup artists and hairdressers, this has been a really terrible time because they're freelance. So there's no furlough involved for a lot of people in our industry. The shows have been cancelled. I was speaking to a friend of mine in LA who works in the movie business. You know, there are no premieres. There's no junkets. There's not any of the things that keep so many of the people in this industry afloat and all freelance how, how i've been wondering what's what's happening with all of that and is that something that you guys try and yeah so there's yeah so i mean i guess i guess the thing is so, so the british beauty council is set up on three pillars one is the first pillar is reputation which is why we did the def- definition of beauty and then the value of beauty and part of that is representing the various different sectors of the industry so when we did the valuation we looked at the industry across Uh, Personal care and hygiene was one sector. Personal enhancement was another. And then services was the third sector. And services is very bizarre because it's split up between sort of hairdressing, beauty, holistic services. And within that, then you have salons, mobiles, freelance, etc. So mobiles and freelance, if you combine those two, they make up 54% of the services sector. It's quite a lot. So when there was the whole shutdown piece, obviously furlough, we understand that's for employees of salons. But um, I was on a call with Alok Sharma, who's the the Secretary of State for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. And I said, you realise 54% of our industry are mobile. There's no... There's nothing for them. So we worked with Creative Industries Federation to lobby government. And then they brought in the SCISS, which was the sort of uh, freelance, you know, you had to provide tax returns or a proof of um, earnings. Because most hairdressers in salons are renting a seat. Yeah, a lot of them are self-employed. They're self-employed and that's been, I know that's been a huge... I mean, there were a lot of loopholes though. You know, I mean, I think it's probably quite common in in our industry that if you are the owner of a business and you are a director of that business, you'll take a very small salary and then you'll take most of your money out in dividends. Well, they weren't covered either. So Mm. I think in a lot of ways, our industry wasn't wasn't really sort of set up as the ideal industry for all of those stimulus packages to support. So tons of people. So do you also give support to the other side to say, you know, maybe this is how you, like in hindsight saying, as you said, restructuring how things are done. Not that, you know, hopefully we won't have another pandemic, but just in general, you know. Yeah, so so what this has revealed is quite a number of things, obviously. So first of all, there are, we kind of knew this when when we set ourselves up. There are a lot of different departments at the beauty industry falls into. And ideally what we would like is to eventually have the beauty and hair and beauty industry sit within the DCMS, which is Department of Digital Culture, Media, Sport, because that seems to be where there's more understanding of our industry in terms of its creative and cultural makeup. Unfortunately, at the moment, we're sort of spread across, you know, a bit in education, a little bit in business, energy, industrial strategy, which is the old trade and industry. And then we've got Department for International Trade who deal with import and export. They're brilliant, actually. I have to say one department, I think, <laughs> who've really got it right, Department for International Trade. And so so it's been, you, you're in and out of all these different, oh, and then there's a treasury who don't want to talk to me at all at the moment. So, um, and I'm, you know, I'm emailing them on a daily basis. So offering haircuts, you know, it's like rewards but for it's an incentives. Amazing thing it strikes me that this is only just I mean incredible that you've started it so here's the big reveal so this is hilarious so as you're sort of going through this you know this has been like for me it's been five months of no sleep you know yeah, and sort of like so stressing stress. the whole time and and it's not my job 
that's at risk. It's, you know, 600,000 people. You start to feel really responsible mm. for these people. And, you know, you get emails all the time of hardship and stories. And I'm just, I'm sitting oh sobbing God. at my desk yeah, every day. Anyway, so I eventually realized, and, and I don't know why I hadn't realized this in the beginning. There are these um, industrial codes. They're called standard industrial classification codes. And every industry has these codes. And that's how government perceive you because they'll look at that code and they'll go, oh, the hair and beauty industry, you're part of that. Those codes were devised in 1948. Wow. And I don't think we've moved from code 96.2 since then. They've not been revised. And it says the the terminology is just hair and other beauty treatments. That's pretty vague. (laughs) Um, and, And, you know, throughout the process of working with government, we've been asked could you list every job within the beauty industry? I'm like, what now? They're like, could you give it to us by 10 o'clock? It's like 9.45, you know, because they don't understand. They have no idea that you can specialise in eyebrows or, you know, specialise in laser. Yeah, exactly. They just have no idea. So so all of this has been quite tricky. Anyway, I'm just now, the, the, the bit of work that we're doing is I've given them the definition of beauty, which is a report that we did. And I said to them, look, this is what it should look like. And they're, I'm trying to now get them to move the, the sick codes because we are 96.2 and we sit within uh, laundry and dry cleaning and funeral services. Wow. And I think we weren't a code of our own. I do. And I think that it's Perhaps. massively, <laughs> massively overdue. So yeah, it's been it's been really challenging. Sounds like you hit the floor running now. I mean, like, yeah, literally. Yeah, I always do that though. I've got the energy. I also of, like, think a that in a funny way, yes. I mean, this will help you move so much faster because they've realized yes. that it's an industry. I, I think mean, they've, think, exactly, they've realized. And yeah. also because they were so terrified yeah. about what our industry going back to work being so close to people. Yeah. So that they was had what was to. so extraordinary. You know, I, I am very close to Joanne Evans, who's my, I don't know if you know who, she's a fabulous facialist. And she posted a picture of, you know, Carnaby Street, the night the pubs open. And I was like, are you kidding me that these people can kind of get so drunk and slobber over each other? And it's like going into some kind of futuristic world to go to Joanne Evans' salon. You know, there's a machine like me as you go in and your temperature's taken and everyone's in a mask and a suit. And in it's, you know, it's the most responsible clean wonderful place and, and, and yet and also the beauty the beauty part of the beauty industry is obviously much more akin to using all of that ppe yes. than other sections yes. of our industry not to knock the hairdressers i've grown up i've grown up in a hairdressing family but wearing a mask and a visor is pretty alien to you know my dad or my brother who cut hair Whereas but it's beauty but technicians, beauty technicians yeah. have been doing it for years and yeah. you know nail techs wear the ffp2 mask because of the dust pollution in the salons and so i yeah it was you know they if there was i think they should have opened beauty first or altogether but this whole staggered thing was I mean, just crazy. You could have a massage. But do you, you, th- do you think it's going to change now, a- though? I mean, now with, uh, I don't know, just coming into the fall and, you know, where we have new rules today, coming. They, yes, yes that's, a, rules. that's what everyone's very worried. Obviously, everyone's very worried. I mean, I think Do you that, have any insight that we don't have? Well, I was on a call with them yesterday and we were told some good news, but then that announcement came. So because everything's sort of flip-flopping all over the place and there are so many YouTube turns you just don't know I mean I was saying to somebody um, earlier that I, I had a big meeting with government about beauty opening and we had just got the body and the nails open and we were really pushing for face and I was told by somebody in government that I was bonkers and he said you are bonkers Millie and if you keep this media stuff up Boris isn't going to want to talk to you anymore you know and it was like really they were quite angry at me about the media 
sort because of campaign of the way, after the negative the, after that after the misogyny tongue, sort yeah. of laughing in, in parliament and so i i came home i was really miserable that day and i came home and i called my daughter who lives in la and i was like i think i'm gonna have to quit my job i just can't do this i'm gonna quit and then you the next morning him. he announced at 11 o'clock the next morning that we could open face and then two weeks later he announced that we couldn't i do, you just don't know you don't know who they're you just don't know who's telling them what and where they're getting their information i think a lot of it is decisions. that i think when there's they a, make real a movie argument. about you they are going to you know starring kate winslet no <laughs> rosanna okay okay going in there and fighting which was yeah patricia yeah okay yeah i can see her striding in going enough enough Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on bluenile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands. All hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Yeah. yeah. Before all of this was happening, though, what was your main focus? Like, what, I mean, I, I feel like no one can talk past COVID, but like, you oh. know, what, what is... Uh... Well, we've still, well, so what happened was is that last year we did the two reports, Defining Beauty and then um, The Value of Beauty. We launched The Value in July last year and we developed a roadmap, which I launched um, to our patrons and board December 2019. And in that roadmap are the three pillars. So that's reputation, education, and innovation. And under reputation, it's um, things like obviously the valuation, the definition, mental health and well-being, um, looking at the rise in men, you know, men's beauty, men's grooming, um, and diversity and inclusivity, which obviously is very important. And we last year in November, we held the first of um, think tank, which was about sort of 80 to 100 people talking about inclusivity in the beauty industry. We then published a report on inclusivity in March, sort of just as we shut down. And um, we then have held subsequent think tanks on the topic just to look at sort of, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about the beauty industry not being inclusive. Um, I think as an employer, in some areas, we're very inclusive in terms of if you walk into any salon, you will see people that might not have felt that they fit in anywhere else. In a lot I think of it's sort of a wonderful, exactly. I think it's yeah. a wonderful home for the for creatively misfits. sort of. Creatively yeah, misfits, well, I, I think, think somebody was saying that somebody was talking to me in the music industry the other day, and and she described herself as a sort of suburban creative, yeah. which in fact so many of the friends because I started off as a as a makeup artist and I, I became a makeup artist because my dad said, if you won't be educated, learn a trade, and I'd been a little bit around the beauty industry and I love some of the most interesting, talented creative, brilliant, funny, all of it, people that I've ever met in my life have come and staggeringly clever and but intuitively clever. 
And um, and I, I couldn't believe that it was a place that I was being told to part myself because I couldn't use my brain. In fact, I learned to use my brain so many different ways. So, and you know, and I've seen people like I knew Charlotte Tilbury from when she was a baby, you know, wafting about in a beach in Ibiza and covered in mud for her whole childhood. And that is a brain that's an untrained brain that went on to be one of the most creative intuition and, I in, think intuition it, intuition, it is intuition in this yeah. business yeah massively know? important I, I've always felt that our industry is very inclusive I can understand from the outside sometimes the perception of our industry with the consumers that we're not um, and then obviously then there's the whole tokenism piece of sort of representing sort of more inclusivity in advertising and then how does that really reflect when you go to the shop floor to purchase product you know oftentimes you'll see beautiful array of testers but when you go and ask for something that's maybe not in the sort of the mid-range it's not available or and so we do need to do better that is for sure and so we do you know so we we're sort of that's a strand that we're working on at the moment um and like everything we do at the council we we I, i like to sort of heavily research things before we report or set any more sort of roadmaps or sort of agendas on how to address things. Um, And then we've, within education, we've created a task force to help um, support the people that set the standards. So they write the national occupation sort of standards and curriculum. So we've set a task force of BAME hairdressers and beauty therapists to sort of support in that curriculum because one of the things that was staggeringly obvious was that when you learn to do hairdressing or makeup artistry or beauty therapy, it's not compulsory to be inclusive. So, and and also a lot of the educators aren't very um, confident in teaching sort of Afro hair, for example. And then innovation, sustainability. We've just finished our sustainability research and we'll be launching that report soon. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, that's really good, yeah. And with mentorship in a way like that, I was thinking about the Fashion Council and the way that young designers are sponsored. Is there a sort of mentorship for, is there a kind of bringing up of young talent? Yeah, we did. We will do this again in October. We launched in September last year, the next British beauty brand. It was part of London Beauty Week which will actually become British Beauty Week next year. Brands could apply for support and they got a listing in Harvey Nichols. They got a pop-up shop in Covent Garden and then mentoring from a VC. Um, and and you've already you've had your first one. So we did the first one. Who was that? Uh, there was a brand called Albiva. Ruby actually chose the winner. Did yeah. It was a brand called Albiva and um, she's now listed in Harvey Nicks and she had a pop-up actually for about quite a few months towards the end of last year. And it was a a skincare brand? It's a skincare brand and they had to be sustainable. So we had something like, we launched the campaign and overnight were 178 applicants of these sort of new brands. But I wanted to make sure that they had been in business or incorporated for a year because I didn't want, you know, otherwise you end up with people just coming with an idea. I wanted a physical product and I wanted to ensure that they were ready to go. And what do they, what is it? It's a skincare brand. Skincare it's brand. a beautiful skincare brand. And uh, yeah, so y- y- young. No, 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 no. It's quite, it's quite, no, it's actually really premium. It's actually aimed at, I would say probably 35 to for 35 plus, maybe, maybe a little bit younger. It's got organic ingredients um, and the packaging's all wood. It's wow, really beautiful. Wow. wow. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. And you have a panel of judges of what, 10? Yeah, so there was um, Joe Osborne from Harvey Nichols. Um, There was uh, Michelle McGrath from Capco, which is Covent Garden. We had Vanita from Blink Brow Bar. We had quite a few judges. Charlotte Mensah. 
She was a judge, Loretta DiFio from Diziac. So it was a bit Dragon's Den. Who are, who, who are keen to get into the beauty business yes. and develop their own skincare range or make a makeup, a cosmetic range, or what is what is this kind of starting point for that? What's the St. Martin's, if you like, of well, when I, I started? So, there was a yeah, so interestingly, I think in the UK, yeah. we are sort of a nation of kitchen table brands. A lot of people start their brands in the playground or on the school, you know, the kitchen table. So um, I think, you know, obviously there's, we've got an, an immense amount of creativity. If you look at Pat and Charlotte and all the amazing brands we've got and the exports and stuff. You know what I always say? You, you need trademark Lawyers, accountants, <laughs> you know, lots of people can have creativity, have but you you really need to have, yeah, you need the to support. have that efficacy, but you need the support because I think... So business studies is something that you would maybe recommend? I or? would say, I would say business studies. I mean, I think that you really do have to be bold. You have to have done your research. So Anna and I, before we started the British Beauty Council, so my business partner, Anna-Marie Solovey, who used to work with you at Vogue, um, she and I used to do this sort of two-hour session with people that wanted to start new brands. And it's astounding how many of them haven't done their research and they present you with something that you've seen a thousand times over. All you have to do is do a quick search on the internet to find something that's like-minded or looks similar. So it has to be unique and it has to have efficacy. And I think nowadays you really have to look at your supply chain and make sure that you are as sustainable as possible. It doesn't have to be perfect, but, you know, be as clear as possible um, about where you're getting your ingredients from. And I think that a lot of times you have to be an expert in something and business is not a bad thing to be an expert in. Um, No, I wish. I wish I had more about it myself. (laughs) Well, you've launched a brand, Mariam, you know. I know, but that's actually... I was the accidental entrepreneur. So, you know, I, I didn't have a plan. I, I didn't have a vision when I started. I st- sort of did it. But in that's my the home way to do it. And, I think sometimes you can overthink it. You know, and I think that I it, didn't have a plan. So yeah, I, I was making it for way. myself and my, you know, my, my clients and my patients and then became something else. But I always wish that I had the time to do like a quick little MBA or something on just, the side. Just, put one just, out. <laughs> just so that Five I, minutes. you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I actually, seriously, seriously thought about doing like an executive one just just to have basic understanding of how to read things a little bit easier they should teach that in school I I got quite frustrated with that basics yeah so I had to learn that on my own but I would have liked to have known that or I feel like I'm just always learning on the job but I guess anybody who starts a business uh, there's always a learning curve and so I think you're always learning and I like that. That's part but of it I that I like. I think creatives actually, it's specifically something that, you know, I don't know if they do now, but I, I know for a long time, a lot of the fashion colleges didn't do business studies. And so what you had was this incredible kind of generation of talent, um, talent who come out and they crash and burn because there's nobody, you know, like many great partnerships. If you look at the great kind of fashion partnerships, Valentino, he's got his business partner, Saint Laurent, he had his business partner. It's, a creative either really, really needs to know what they're doing or park somebody next to them who knows what they're doing because that's the, that's been, those have been the most sort of successful creative marriages. And I think in, in it helps not to do it alone as well. No, I mean, really I've always worked with other alone. people. I've never done things on my own. I don't want to go to the loo by myself, I really, quite frankly. I mean, you know, yeah, if I could take yeah, a friend. No, honestly, that's yeah. so true. Somebody said I to me never, yesterday. I always carry, I always have an entourage with me. I always yeah, show up with someone too. else. Me too, I always never want do, somebody yeah. with me. And I think it's reassuring and I think that's the way. Oh, I'm always by myself. Are you? I think it's really yeah. nice to yeah. bounce off I like to bounce. Yeah, I like to bounce off people. I do. I do too. And I think that the fashion industry as well and our industry. So when I was coming out through 
through the makeup rooms, you know, um, there's that famous joke of, you know, how many stylists does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. What do you think? But everybody in the fashion and beauty industry just says, what do you think? Do somebody's face. What do you think? You do the makeup, you know. I don't think it's a sign of insecurity or a lack of knowledge. knowledge. I think it's actually, you know, I think we're very, I think as an industry, we're very empathetic. Yeah. And I think we sort of feel people's woes and their highs and their lows. And I think that that being able to read people, I think, is a really positive yeah. thing and quite important. It's a very we, not me industry, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something that I've always liked about it. That's been very, very obvious over, during COVID. Yes. Now everyone's come together. I mean, the Beauty Back campaign mm, was that we amazing. Did, you know, raised well, £400,000 oh. in like 10 days or something, you know, to mm. support the people that weren't working and mm. the people that sort of were really struggling to feed their kids. That was amazing. Something that I really realised as well in lockdown is that all the stuff that I missed about, let's say, you know, I have a facial once every three months, I have a, I have a facial and or I come and see Mariam and beg her to stick a needle in somewhere or but what it really is is it's a kind of a it's a very therapeutic world you know and it's and it's I really missed the contact I missed putting myself in somebody's hands I missed the idea that taking care of yourself or being taken care of is an incredibly therapeutic thing and I think in a time where we were all feeling so vulnerable that we'd lost a sort of little part of our world that allows us to do all the other stuff that you have to do so for me like the most therapeutic thing I had was my kind of Dr. Skull um, battery operated foot pumice oh my god that made me happy oh it's like that sounds like a great one you didn't tell me about that so I've got one I've got a foot pumice that I use but it's not mechanical it's got a battery in my cat. I'm writing that down. So you get it. You got your battery. Me, cat would go insane, and I just have my foot and kind of like a snow blizzard of of stuff Dead coming skin. off my oh, foot. So yeah. one thing I haven't done yet is a oh, is a pedicure. My God, I've gone con- completely like naked. Not naked, that naked, but naked toes. I've I've not. I've probably not had no polish on my nails in 25 years. 30. I mean, I've. I've always had polish on my toenails. It's funny, isn't it? What was uh, what was the first thing that you went and had done after lockdown? Color, hair color, <laughs> hair color. I had I've had that done twice, but actually, I have to say, Josh would spray the blonde spray. Mm. Nothing we like did it. a podcast with Josh actually during lockdown, yeah, and he that was, was telling us. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that was amazing because obviously you can't redo your own highlights. So, and that spray, I figured out a way of fudging the roots so that it looked on Zoom and what like I, I was okay. Yeah, quite interesting going forward is I think that we've learned that you know these are going to be very very uncertain times I think for a lot of people, and so I think that you know maybe where women were going and having their hair done once a month or once every three months, their roots they've learned how to do you talk about sisters are doing it for themselves but I think there's been a real resilience um, resilience and I think the other thing I've learned is where I want to invest so if I invest in a skincare you know if I'm going to buy one skin cream or I'm going to buy one this I'm really kind of don't do nearly as much impulse shopping Although sales went crazy, right, on on skincare. Yeah, I mean, the sales on skincare were great. I mean, the challenge we we have now is we need to figure out how to entice people to experiment. I think also we kind of hit this weird place before COVID where we were launching too many products. Mm. It's very difficult to raise the reputation of an industry that relies on marketing terminology um, to sell products when there's so much product being launched. So actually, a reduction in launch of product is not a bad thing. We need to reduce our consumption, but not 
um, kill our industry. Mm. So we've got to figure out for this purpose of sustainability, how to reduce consumption. And we'd gotten to the point where we were just, it was just mass, you know, mass production, mass oh. consumption, more, 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 more products launching every week and, you know, on, on, on Instagram. And it was just too much. What do you think, Mariam? Cause you have a brand. I mean, this is your world. Well, you know, I think the whole world slowed down a little bit, but in the beauty, I think it also put emphasis on what is not there. So, you know, for instance, I have a small brand and um, ours is mainly for healthy skin and for, you know, it's pigment oriented right now, but we've expanded. Um, I think pollution and anti-inflammation and those types of things are going to be more prevalent regardless of when COVID ends. So I think that's just going to be part of mainstream life in my, in my opinion. So like, I, I think there's a big, um, shift towards that, that I don't think is a fad. I don't believe in fad. So I think, you know, that's something that we've incorporated, but I also think that, um, people became more educated too, which I thought was great. They were trying to learn about the different ingredients. They were trying to learn what was the best for their skin there. Even if they didn't have access to someone who could tell them what kind of skin they had, they were doing their own research too. I think moving forward, we're planning on doing a lot more, uh, smaller, you know, n- not just sachets, but lots of little travel sizes that you can purchase instead of the big size, because I don't know when you're going to be able to go back into a store and pump out, you know, your next cream to try on. And skincare is difficult to experiment with if you haven't tried it, you know, and if you don't try it, you're unlikely to go spend whatever it is, unless it's a really a negligent amount to, to do to that try it for a short period of time you know, to see if you can see. It's very difficult. I mean, when you do test something in store, it's really around texture and smell. Absolutely. performance, you can't test in Uh, store. Not at all. So you have to have tried it for at least... I mean, I always tell my patients even, I I think you have to really try skincare for about six weeks and, you know, for you to to really see. You have things that give you immediate changes, but they're more about like hydration and um, coverage and, you know, making the texture improve, but they're not going to actually improve the quality of your skin. You know, you can't try an acne treatment and once and and say it's good. The sales of cosmetics, makeup particularly was in decline. The retailers were all falling apart anyway before this. I mean, not all of them, but But some of them, them, the department stores particularly. So this hasn't really changed anything. This has just sped up what was already happening anyway. People are buying more skincare. Their skin is better. They're buying less foundation. You know, they're having more treatments. So the fillers that, so younger women who are having those treatments are going to buy less lip liner, eyebrow products because they're having the microdermablading and their lips done. And so that everything's changing anyway. It wasn't just COVID. Are you involved in a sort of set of standards around um, fillers and invasive? No, you is know that, what? Is that part of your remit well, as the beauty council? No, we're not a regulatory body. So um, we're an advocacy group, generally speaking. So, so we are. We will support the trade bodies if they feel collectively that that's where they want to go. Yeah. Um, I don't see what any reason why they why that shouldn't happen. I think it's probably not a bad thing. Um, I think it, it breaks my heart that you can do a two day course in dermal fillers and then be insured to stick a needle in somebody's face at a you know Terrible. in a living room over a glass of champagne. So yeah, I'm mortified by that. But it's not necessarily within our remit. But we are part of our roadmap. Does say that we will support the trade bodies. Um, in getting that pushed through. And I know there's something at the moment going on with the um They have so CIEH. many of them, but, yeah. but nothing really becomes uniform. It's very slow. It's a slow process. Yeah, I think it'll be faster now because, because the government now 
realised that if the industry was regulated, yeah. it would have been a lot easier to manage, particularly with compliance. It's very difficult to get people to to conform to be compl- COVID secure when you don't know who they are That's or where true. they are or they're not on a sort of registry. So I think that that will naturally happen. A lot of things will change. What are you excited about? What are you? I mean, I think what you're doing sounds so fantastic. Um, what what am I excited about? I'm just, I'm excited about the sort of elevation of the industry and I'm excited about, um, you know, the fixing the, the problems that we've experienced over. Like, I feel like we've really, it's been be a proud. I mean, of course, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a big not, not just Not just me, I've got an amazing team, but. How many um, people are, are, are at the British are, Yes. Two paid people. Oh. And everyone else is a volunteer. Wow. Well, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, so I've had a lot of support for free. That That's one thing I have to say. This has been amazing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like the thing I'm most excited about is the government work because it's sort of like... Um, you shape it. I, if, it's like my passion. Really? I, and it's also, like you were saying, I'm learning something that I never thought I'd experienced before. And I'm quite sort of politically motivated. You know, I'm one of those people that will like sort of don't like injustice. And so well, we certainly need you at the moment. Yeah. So it really it pisses me yeah. off. So I, yeah. I'm kind of like I'm a bit like a dog with a bone at the moment. I'm enjoying that. Ooh. I love that. <laughs> I could listen to you actually all day. Millie, thank you so much for coming and thank talking to us. Thank you for having us. me. It's just been great having you on. You and your listeners need to tell me what you want. That's the whole purpose. It's not about what we want, it's about what you guys want. So actually, if any of you out there listening to this have got any questions for Millie, do email us at theguineapigpod at gmail.com and we will pass all of your questions on to Millie and get back to you. Thanks so much for listening and thank you so much for coming along. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The Guinea Pig provides unbiased information to those who may be considering cosmetic surgery or even trialling a non-invasive treatment or product. We do not endorse the use of any product or procedure featured in this podcast and are not responsible for the outcome of any of the treatments featured on this podcast or damage caused in connection with any treatments or products. Should you decide to try any of the procedures, treatments or products mentioned in any episode of The Guinea Pig, you do so at your own risk. Always consult an independent and fully qualified medical professional if you are considering embarking on a medical procedure, irrespective of whether it's an invasive or non-invasive procedure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.